0: Welcome to the Consummate Athlete Podcast, where we explore what it means to be a well-rounded, happy, goal-crushing athlete. Every week, myself, sports journalist Molly Herford, and cycling coach and kinesiologist Peter Glassford interview experts and chat through all of your training questions. We're excited to have you along for the ride. Hello, hello, and welcome back to the Consummate Athlete Podcast. Peter, how's it going?
1: It's going well. I mean, I would say the you know the fall weather always has me down in the dumps a little bit, but the approaching of cyclocross and especially the practicing of cyclocross skills is, is keeping me level somewhat. somewhat Some yeah. would argue the balance is a little more one way than the other, but uh, Some. I, I don't know I don't about know. them. I don't know who would
0: possibly <laughs> say that. Uh, But anyway, yes, uh, Cross is no longer coming. Cross is officially here. Actually, this weekend marked the first race in the U.S. Cup Series.
1: Was there two... uh, You say in the U.S. Cup Series, but there was two big races in the U.S. this weekend. Did I see that? There's like Rochester and... In the u.s uh, like, roanoke is that yeah, the yeah roanoke one? Okay. go
0: cross i think is what it's I called i'm not sure yeah so very exciting uh you know it's it's that time where it's super easy to jump from one sport into the next um so we are bringing you our annual cyclocross q a it's probably my favorite i feel like it's in that back to school category um back to cross Uh, Despite the fact that I have not raced cross in a few years, you haven't either. We did. We did, in fact, meet at a cyclocross race. That's right. uh, Nine years ago, now I think, pretty much nine years ago to the day. So happy uh, almost anniversary. Yes, most
1: of our courting was taking place through cyclocross, I guess, as well. So there you go.
0: Yep. Yep. Uh, Yeah, and I mean, I got my start in cycling journalism in cyclocross at Cyclocross Magazine. My first book was Mud Snow and Cyclocross. The first bike racing I did was cyclocross. Managed a cyclocross team, Aspire Racing, if anyone remembers that. Uh, Yeah, so it's been a pretty massive part of my life, a pretty big part of your life. And I know it's something you love coaching. I love writing about it. We both love watching. Uh, So, yeah, it's near and dear to our hearts. So I guess...
1: You know we have a few notes here we have several we have about seven or eight concepts questions we're gonna work through so thanks to everyone who submitted that uh i, I wonder we didn't talk about doing this but i wonder you know just uh, from a one-on-one perspective like cyclocross what are you guys talking about
0: Ah, huh, fair question because i
1: you have a book M- mud snow and cyclocross that might help with that but it's, it's a history of cyclocross in the u.s uh but you know, what is cyclocross, I guess we got, we got asked this fairly often. I'm telling clients about it and you know, a lot of people aren't familiar.
0: Yeah, it's funny. And I'd say less people are familiar with it than they would have been a few years ago, sort of before gravel racing hit the scene and kind of uh, muddied the waters, I guess, of where the line for like, what is cyclocross? What is gravel? And I almost wonder, do you think
1: now it's easier to explain. You could say, oh, it's like gravel, but you just do it in a little park in a circle and you do a bunch of laps. Well, there you go. It's It's
0: gravel, but in a park and you do a bunch of laps. (laughs) On
1: grass and less gravel, but more grass. And, And then you also have to jump on and off
0: yeah I think that's the big differentiator for cyclocross is that uh, yeah so it's a closed course it's about usually two kilometers in length it tends to take place uh, on you know grassy fields maybe there's a little bit of single track uh, it originated um in Belgium in the 40s is the like rough history uh where road racers were actually just doing this in farmers fields in their off season just kind of playing on bikes riding around the fields they would jump off their bikes to cross over these streams and creeks if you ever google like old cyclocross photos mm-hmm. it's awesome and
1: there's some youtube videos i think even uh, of some of these old old races where you know black and white and people are going through farm fields and over fences and all these things and it, it's quite Awesome. And, you know, that's how I was introduced to cyclocross was just, you know, it was a cheaper road bike, you could get, it was able to go on gravel roads, which we had a lot of, and we would just push them to their limits on single track. I remember going and the brakes used to be quite bad. They weren't disc brakes. And, and so that's, you know, to me, that's what cyclocross has always been was, you know, maybe we're starting. That's like the, the segments in gravel racing is sort of what cyclocross is. So it's really fun. Uh, I would say definitely the highlight for a lot of people or the the big differentiator is that requirement to get on and off your bike a couple times a lap to run up a hill or over a a hurdle uh, which we call barriers but that's I guess cyclocross you know It's, it's a drop bar handlebar with some knobbier tires so it's like a road bike with knobby tires is somehow how we describe it too but
0: yeah and the races last around 40 to 60 minutes just depending on your category and honestly the best thing about it is that it's so family friendly uh it's arguably I'm going to say the safest kind of bike racing you can do because really for the most part you're, if you do go down, you're going down in grass, uh, you're, never that far from the start-finish area. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you're a parent, it's an awesome race for kids to do because again, they're always close by. Uh, even for parents like who also wanna race, it's a really family-friendly sure. event where there tends to be at the bigger races, more of an expo area, more families hanging out, staying through the entire day. Uh, yeah. Everyone can race at different times. So that's actually, I think, one of the best parts for especially moms and dads, if mom and dad are both racing. The races are going to happen at separate times. So one of them can be watching the kids while the other one races and then they switch. I've seen that work really well for a lot of parents.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, it tends to be a good vibe. And, And I like it. You know, it's as you say, it's short course. So if you get dropped or your bike breaks, it's not a big deal. Your car is right there if you want to go home you know, it's also lap, so it's not a big deal. Um, yeah, it's just a great beginner sport. As you say, a little safer for anyone who's like concerned about crashing and not that it's without risk, but you know, certainly you're hopping on and off your bike. Uh, but that's, that's cycle So I thought, do you want to start with first race tips or do you want to go with the transition to cross for those that were racing this summer?
0: Well, I think we just kind of alluded to some first race tips here. So let's maybe start with that and then get into the Good transition. Time. And question.
1: we've, we've oh, borderline argued about this, but th- there could be a lot of different first races. You could have someone who's very experienced as a, a mountain biker, uh, you know, even just an athlete. Uh, and then you could have someone who's new to cycling and this is like their first bike race. Right. And so I went to the first bike race and you went to, you know, the the person who's just trying cyclocross after doing other bike racing
0: yes it has to be said this is actually a second take of this because it <laughs> there, got. there's no tears it got <laughs> vehement heated. things it. we Not do good. for you folks
1: so here we go so let's start with do you want to start with just this is your first bike race someone's pretty new to cycling they, they took our advice that this is a good safe fun discipline to try out what, what are some things you know if we're going to try a race
0: okay i like this um my first thought would actually be just planning to be there for most of the day and i know that's not exactly what you had written on your like first ever bike race thing but a couple reasons a lot of people who are new to racing like if you've raced maybe like a 5k running race before for example uh you've shown up maybe an hour before your race start just to get your number pin it on find parking whatever and get to your start line Uh, with cyclocross though you do actually want to get there early so you can see the course this might not mean pre-riding we'll talk about that in a second but you do want to give yourself plenty of time to get there get your bike set up get your number just get the lay of the land because often this is maybe like a not a global thing but often a lot of cyclocross courses can be a little bit confusing especially if you've never been to a bike race before as far as like where the start is where registration is all that stuff Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. so give yourself a few extra hours, honestly, and you're going to want to watch another race. So that's actually probably my one tip is get there early enough to see another race, like to be able to wander around the course, whether you're riding around the course or you're walking around it, watch another race happen. So you kind of know what you're in for. Okay.
1: And I heard a couple nitty gritty tips there of uh pinning numbers is pretty common in cyclocross i I would say most races would you know you have body numbers rather than a number plate which every other discipline well not every other discipline but a lot of the other you know mountain biking certainly is just a big plate on the front of the bike cyclocross because you're changing bikes potentially um you know and you know once you get into cyclocross you might have two uh and you're allowed to change it so you they, they don't put it on the bike in any case. And then the other thing was the pinning. I find the pinning takes me like three hours. every, And I can never find the pins. Even though they usually give you the pins, I, I'm always four short and you need four <laughs> uh so in any case give yourself as molly says lots of time
0: also if anyone has seen our giant bag of safety pins we are still looking for it it is gone (laughs) it's been
1: very disruptive um so that's that and then what was the other thing i heard so they were walking around the course maybe to preview it um because sometimes it's muddy and so one of our arguments that we had was about you know do you pre-ride the course It, it is good practice especially if you're nervous i do agree with you on that that if you could pre-ride the course you're probably going to feel better about it but we do have to be careful that you know you don't expend too much energy before the race this is true for everyone but if you're new to cycling if we start having you ride all day before your race you might not have as good experience so you do want to have a sense of what is the course are there areas that are a little more technical most races are not going to send their beginner riders into something very treacherous either so if you are new i think you'll be okay even just showing up and going to the start line and starting I, i think you'll be okay but Uh, It is good. Most people do like to know what they're riding towards. Um, So if you can walk around the course and as Molly says, just take in a race, uh, that would be great.
0: Yeah. I think you will have more fun if you know what you're in for and watch, uh, watch one of the other starts too, just to get a sense of what that looks like. Mm -hmm. Uh, And if you're new and you're nervous, it's totally fine to set yourself up in the back and just like take a breath and start towards the back. Like no.
1: Yeah. Don't let the number of people intimidate. You can certainly space yourself out. Um, and those categories usually are relatively relaxed with how they start. Um, yeah. But you can certainly control your destiny there a little bit. Uh, okay. So now let's assume, is that a, good for beginners? We uh, pin your numbers, show up with lots of time, maybe go with someone. Oh, and then my other thought was, you know, maybe not the big, you know, don't go to Rochester, UCI, cyclocross, or the, something like this. A lot of places you can find these weekly races or even just weekly practices uh, where they'll do a little bit of, like, start practice or or a hot lap or a mini race uh, to just get a taste of it and i think that's that's how a lot of people fall in love with the sport and i think if we did more of that probably people would stay in love with the sport you know some of these just more practicing weekly things you know the, it's more of a game right it's not super important or super big or a super big time investment right you there from five till seven and then you go home
0: for sure, uh, my uh, it's funny though because my other thought, my last thought was actually like almost the opposite, which was not not necessarily find a big race, but plan to spend the entire day there because I actually really think staying to watch the elite race, whether sure. it's a local elite race or it's you know a big UCI elite race, I think is so worth it because honestly, spectating cyclocross is as fun, if not more fun, yeah. than racing it. Yeah. Uh, and that's where you really get to see the community too and, and really kind of become part of it. So
1: give yourself a chance to meet people and, exactly. and enjoy it. And like you say, fall in love with watching it as well. I think as it is, it's one of the better uh, spectator disciplines for or for cycling. Uh, and, and sometimes there's beer gardens. Uh, if you choose uh, often like coffee trucks or, or things like this too, they, they tend to do a better job than a lot of the other cycling disciplines at having some sort of expo and, and foods, stuff around, right? So have a coffee, you know, enjoy a fall day. Often there's fall colors. So it's, it's just such a great way to be out and active in the fall, right? I think if, if uh, the other ways to describe cycle crisis, well, what else are you going to do in the fall? I guess as a cyclist,
0: it's true. Uh, and then the, I'd say overarching tip that we'll get into as we get a little more specific is bring enough warm clothing, like always plan for it to be like 20 degrees. <coughs> always plan for it to be 20 degrees colder than it is in the weather forecast because you know wind picks up it gets a little rainy you know how those fall days can go one minute it's blazing sun the next minute you're a little overexerted from your race you're maybe a little damp because you've been sweating and now you're just freezing and there's (laughs) for you in particular but most people uh there is nothing that makes you grumpier and just like less happy than being cold like right. i've seen you walk around in like 10 layers it's like always
1: races. have yeah so you bring a whole gear bag in. and i guess your point you know if you were going to go and you were going to give this a good shot maybe you're a more experienced rider so you're you know later in the day so you're, like you say your street clothes you need to stay warm because you're going to be standing you know maybe on cement uh out in a field maybe it's windy maybe it's rainy a bit so you want clothes for the rain for the cold for just standing around and more than you think, big boots so that your feet aren't getting cold. Uh, and then once you ride, as Molly says, there is the opportunity often to pre-ride earlier in the day, maybe an hour or two or more before your race, between the other races, get a preview. Your bike may get dirty, so you may have to clean it up. So you need to be prepared for that. And then your clothes are going to get dirty. So you're going to need a couple sets of, of, of kit or, or cycling clothes. So, but that's a more advanced thing.
0: <laughs> more advanced thing. Bring everything you owe. Yeah. yeah. Um, I
1: mean, stay warm in either case, but the, the whole pre-riding and showing up and riding and stuff, I think that sometimes gets just a little bit, you know, if this is your first race, just <laughs> give it a good go.
0: I'm just remembering. <laughs> Well, now I'm just remembering our year of uh, managing and mechanicing in Belgium uh, when, when the one mechanic made fun of me for my refusal to wear like 18 layers.
1: Yes. He proclaimed that Molly was fashion. Was fashion. Was fashion because she was wearing, you know, the the tights and the... I mean, you looked put together. You looked professional. I think you had some sort of waterproof like mini boot or something on. I
0: did. I had my Vivo barefoot galoshes. Those <laughs> that things was what, are amazing. All I
1: remember is washing a bike and the water being over my rubber boots. Like it was going into the, and I was just, and people were blasting me with a, it was a great experience, but <laughs> never have I been in such a puddle. Uh, well, that's not true. I have also been in a race where it got worse than that, but gonna that's. say, you were in Crank the that's Shield. That's right. Uh, yeah. Those who know, know. Okay, so that's first race. Hopefully that's helpful.
0: Yeah. um, Oh, So we didn't really get into like the 201 first race tips though. So if you are like an experienced bike racer, so I would say if you can pre-ride, pre-ride. If you can't pre-ride, definitely make sure you've walked the course. Maybe even just pre-ridden little sections of it, honestly. Like it's not that you have to ride the entire thing, but if there's a section where you know it's a difference of like, can I ride it versus am I going to have to run it? It's probably worth just and, and investigating this is, that. With
1: clients, we're looking at you know that there's often a tech guide or a schedule on the website, uh, if not an official tech, guide, where you can see they'll say it'll say like practice or or something you know pre ride windows. And so we're always looking where are the pre ride windows, and there'll often be a couple depending on when you race in the day. If you race first thing, you can probably just ride before your race, and that's sort of your warm up. Uh, so you maybe do a couple efforts. You do a lap during, you know, you've seen it, you warmed up, you get to the line and away you go. So the first race of the day is, is early, (laughs) but you don't really have to worry about anyone else's race. And then the later races, it's always this, you know, which window is longer, which one's too close to your start to get cleaned up and take care of your bike. So that's where there's a bit more planning ahead of it. If you're going to take it a bit more seriously.
0: Yeah. And also just remembering, uh, you're not going to be able to eat and drink during a cyclocross race, uh, almost ever like i've never seen point. someone eating during a cross Not race really. and i've only I'm seen i'm sure people
1: take gels sometimes but
0: I've never once seen it and I've never seen, like I've only seen people drink in them a couple times, like when it's boiling hot out. So just be hydrated, be fit. I guess that's
1: a good one-on-one tip. And what is Cyclocross is that generally you don't have bottle cages on your bike. Some people will do it, especially as you say now, people aren't shouldering, but because sometimes you'll put your bike up on your shoulder, you don't want anything within the frame and you're trying to make the bike light because you're going to pick it up. So you don't want to carry a bunch of water either. So I guess that's a good first timer tip as well that you've stumbled across here is that you, know, you probably would pull off any extra stuff. There's no tools, no tubes, no bottles on your bike.
0: Yeah, exactly. So, okay, I think that pretty much covers it without getting into a discussion of tire pressure, uh, the tire pressure discussion. I'll just say, don't stress too hard about it. You're probably gonna wanna run it a few PSI higher than you would on the mountain bike, a few PSI lower than you would on the gravel bike, and a lot of PSI lower than you would on the road bike sure there you go
1: yeah it depends so much what tires you're using but um yeah i think we'll just leave it there i don't know they're, they're pretty soft like so soft that you know you're a little concerned but you don't want the tire to come off the rim or flat so it's it's somewhere just above that point is what you're looking for and
0: but don't freak out about it um i've I actually just did an article for bicycling magazine about tire pressure and i had to interview 20 different pros about what the, like their thoughts on tire pressure and all of the cyclocross people i talked to were like yeah like we always say, you know, oh, you're running like a you know 0.5 PSI less in the rear than you are in the front, sorry, in the front than you are in the rear, like blah, blah, blah. Um, but we don't mean any of it. Like, it's all just superstition at that point. So when you're talking about the difference of like a f- couple PSI, it's mostly in your head versus actual
1: reality. Mm-hmm. That is where, you know, the pre-ride for folks, as they take it more and more seriously, that is, you know, you're refining that by, as you say, points of a a PSI um but just slightly dropping right so if you're going through an off-camber corner a corner that's sort of sloped away uh if you're feeling the tire peeling then that's a good sign but that's you know in the pre-ride you start doing that but for most folks it's you know is there air in the tires (laughs) go ahead and give it a a try and then you can these are improvements down the road
0: also if someone suggests letting air out or you want to let air out go with one not like uh
1: yeah it's a lot no it's a lot for each little tap yeah, yeah, one tap at a time. Small tires. Okay, so we, from there we had the transition to cross. Yeah. So, so you're, you've been racing in the summer. You're going to transition to cross.
0: Yeah, and this is sort of assuming that we're not talking about someone who's just raced a couple times over the summer. This is someone who's been racing pretty consistently, who took mountain bike, road, or gravel, sure. or track, or whatever, like pretty seriously. I think that
1: the check to make there to differentiate yourself is, when was your last off day and when was your last off week? Um, and especially, you know, like a week without cycling, uh, you know, it's probably good practice to include in the year, if not a couple times in the year, which might be shocking to some people. But, you know, these days and it can be, you know, I guess it can what's a week. It could be three days, five days. It could be whichever. But you probably want to have that at some point. And so some people will take it more in the winter. Some people take it in the summer and they'll go away on vacation, but you want to sort of know when that was. And I think if you've been burning it, you know, for a long time, you race fat bikes and Swift and track and road and gravel and mountain bike and all this stuff. And you just haven't had a a break, especially from racing, let alone training. uh, You probably want to be careful coming directly into cross.
0: Yeah, that's a mistake I made my like second year of racing cross. It was the year I did my first Ironman as well. And I literally went two days after my first Ironman into cross practice. And I was hobbled by the end of that season.
1: Yeah. And I mean, it can certainly be done. I mean, I'm sure you did it. And I've seen lots of people do these big things. But it's it's just the the recovery off of some of those, especially if we're going to talk about big stuff, you know, these hundred milers, it's, it takes a while. Uh, You know, on the order of, I would say, you know, weeks, if not months sometimes, depending on how deep you end up going.
0: Yeah. So definitely make sure that you are taking a break. And admittedly, the urge to start cross comes kind of fast and furious in September. Like when when cyclocross season first starts and there's so much excitement around it and so much stoke and these first weekly practices are so much fun. Um, I actually was thinking about this question now that this is the second time we're going through it. And part of me is like, you know what? If you're so excited about cyclocross and like just thrilled to get into it and all your friends are doing it and all that stuff, I honestly think you probably can just go right into it as long as you plan to take a break somewhere in like after a couple weeks, like or three weeks in, you're going to take your, you know, week off or take your kind of like mini off season. Just because I don't, I don't know. I, I feel like if you have the stoke, if it's there, if you're so excited, just go for it, but definitely still plan into your calendar to have that time off.
1: Sure. Sure. And I mean, ideally we've planned this from the beginning of the year so that you have it, but I think that's a great tactic to take the fitness. We've seen Catherine Pendril did that. I remember at cross Vegas was earlier in September came right off of, you know, mountain bike worlds and, and that sort of stuff and did, and did great. Right. So you can carry that form if you want to, but again, what's the plan? Are you racing right through to the U S cross nationals or when December or January or something? um canadian or you know into november and then you know there's no more cross because of snow and stuff uh but it depends really what you're trying to do a lot of canadian cross is pretty fair weather once the bad weather comes whenever that comes you know say october people are done so if you're just going to race till the end of september and do your cross practice till the end or something then you're probably fine Uh, but again it all depends how deep are, are you from you know training and racing and then how serious are you pushing these cross races
0: for sure there's definitely a lot of people for whom cross is now like their party season really so definitely if you're not taking it super seriously and it's casual then like by all means go have fun we're not trying to be party Mm -hmm. poopers here Mm -hmm. Uh, yeah i just kind of wanted to add that note because i know for like you know, someone like my dad, for example, like cyclocross is his social time. It is like his party. So...
1: Well, and he shows up to race. Again, it's what are you doing in the race? Like he shows up and just sort of goes for a ride in the race, you know, not to... He works hard, no doubt.
0: He is working so much harder than anyone at the front of that pack. Right,
1: right. Um, So I think it depends what you're trying to get out of and how hard you're pushing it. But any other notes, if we're looking at this... So we said with transition across the other thing for adults to remember... Uh, is that, you know, you may have not done a dismount in a while or run vigorously up a hill in a while, let alone sprint uh, up a hill. So you do want to, you know, take a few rides and ease into it. You know, you have a different bike you're going to ride, so good bike-fitting practice is to not go super hard or super long for, you know, days if not weeks. Uh, You know, ease into the position for the sake of overuse injuries, and then similarly because of acute injuries, things like Achilles tendons and strains of this type or that, You probably want to be careful with your those jumping off your bike jumping on your bike running up a hill because these are things that as adults we don't tend to do regularly now you may i like to mount and dismount all the time but you may not you may do that all year and you may not so you just be careful ease into it slow motion walking speed hike a bike versus run-ups and i think you'll you know in a few bouts of that you should be okay
0: Yeah, love that. Also just the PSA to like look over your cross bike before you go to your first race or practice. Uh it's probably been
1: a lot of gearing issues, whether that's not charged or just not working.
0: Yeah. Might have been collecting dust for the last couple years. A lot lot of people didn't really have twenty twenty or twenty twenty one Yeah, Maybe you did like a
1: two thousand nineteen super muddy race and then (laughs) put it away and it's been locked up since. Yeah, yeah. That bike
0: might need some uh some TLC. Check those wheels
1: roll. Okay. That's good. So transition to cross.
0: Yep. Perfect. Uh, okay. The, do you want to go into dismount troubleshooting maybe since we just talked about
1: dismounts uh, and remounts here? Well, you had starts and you had running. We just were talking about running. I don't, let's, let's save the, the troubleshooting stuff's more like advanced. Let's save that. Okay. Uh,
0: okay. Then let's talk about starts because, you know, in, in, In a lot of races starts aren't necessarily like the be-all end-all certainly in running start really doesn't have a ton to do with how your whole race is going to go now mountain biking obviously it matters road as long as you start with the pack you're fine cyclocross the start really matters Uh, because typically like mountain biking the start is in a wide open area it's usually on either gravel or road usually road if it's more of like a professional race Uh, but it could be on a big grassy field in a more casual race environment Uh, either way really wide for a couple hundred meters and then it tends to turn abruptly and get really really tiny so where you are in the start really matters if you're trying to do well uh, because you just don't have that long to to get back to the front and once you're at the tail end you're going to be doing so much more work to move up
1: right yeah and everyone's you know, back from the start is moving slower. So if you're riding with them, you're losing time on the, the leaders, right? And yeah. not, you know, you could get back up if you're quite fit, but uh, you're at a disadvantage if you, versus having clear yeah. road in front of you.
0: So the obvious advice here is, okay, go to a cyclocross practice and practice your starts with people. That's great if you happen to have a weekly practice or a weekly series near you, but not everyone has access to that. So if you don't have anyone to practice starts with, How do you practice cyclocross starts?
1: Well, and I think this is a pretty big concept. I actually just wrote an article for Canadian Cycling Magazine about starts and how they're the thing that, you know, we should all include more in our our training I'm as guilty about this, but you know, whether we're starting intervals or how we get started from traffic lights, again, be careful, look both ways, but you know, you have a lot of opportunity to start and stop. And if you think about a lot of the time that people are uncomfortable or falling over, it's, it's slow speed transition. So they're slowing right down, whether they put their foot down or not, or they're getting going or they're getting stopped. And if you think about a lot of the crashes, you might be able to reflect on this for yourself. Um, we, we often crash in that transition. Uh, the the best example is, you know, learning to ride rollers. Most people, if you got them, if you held them on both sides and got them going, most people can ride rollers if they can ride a bike. But there's not many people that are comfortable stopping and starting on rollers. And I think it's actually pretty similar outside. Uh, so I think the skill of, of starting is actually very, very important to practice a lot. The and once you get down the skill and you feel comfortable starting and stopping, putting a foot down, then, you know, the, the, the speed of it and the precision can, can improve. But until you're really great at getting going, you know, I think it's, the nature is just, just practice it and practice it and practice it. So All we're saying is stop and start going across the field 10 times. Or when you do intervals, do it from a standing start. So you, whether it's a threshold interval or a tempo interval, just start it. You know, five good hard pedal strokes get clipped in. Uh, well, I was
0: going to say, funny enough, I think there's actually a lot of really good cyclists who are really bad at starts because they're so good at track standing that they actually don't do a whole lot of which stop is wrapped starts. Up. Yeah,
1: yeah. so a lot of, most people will use clipless pedals in, in cyclocross. I think actually most people would improve for mounts and dismounts if they used flat pedals for a while, but that's, we'll get there. Um, but yeah, you have to get clipped in. And so the the, the thing to know is that you got to keep pedaling. You can't stop pedaling, but a lot of people, if they miss their it on the first time, you know, they try and put their, their their right foot on the pedal and they try and clip in. They miss it. They'll stop pedaling rather than keep pedaling, even though they're not clipped in. Just mash the pedal, you know, and then try and readjust on the second one and try again. Generally, you'll get clipped in. You'll get better and better at saving it, but you can't not get even a half that half speed pedal stroke, that half power from not being clipped in. You want to keep moving because everyone around you is moving. Um, and it's also just going to be the best way to get your foot adjusted too, is if you just keep pedaling. Um, and that applies to rollers too. Like you can't stop pedaling on rollers. So it's sort of a similar concept for those. Um, I, as far as you're, you're talking about getting started you know, with the people and the crowd control. Like it's hard to really do that. I guess riding in traffic would be like similar as far as, you know, tight spaces, a single track if you've never ridden on like narrower trails would help you like hold a line I guess or uh, yeah you could put cones I guess to try and just hold a straight line or try and ride on a painted line in a parking lot but it's hard to replicate racing against someone else across a field yeah
0: I think yeah really where I want to deal with it is not a lot of people practice their really hard efforts from a stopped position mm-hmm. right like most people you're doing intervals you're riding easy then you go hard then you ride easy then you go hard so you're never going hard from a stopped position right right. so yeah ne- really just next time you do your interval sets like do your easy 20 minutes literally stop your bike yeah get in like your start position like make sure you're in the gear that you want to be in you know, have your, your pedal turned the right way. Make sure you're not, uh, the one thing I, know, I was saying is that make sure you don't back your pedal up, like crank it backwards. Cause that's mm-hmm. the fastest way to drop your chain in the start. Um, so make sure you've spun your in, into the right gear pedaling forward, not pedaling backwards. Yeah.
1: And some people's eyes may be crossed on this. Um, Sorry. That's
0: a little in the weeds, but I think that might be like an, if you know, you know, kind of thing.
1: Well, I mean, I guess that's the problem, isn't it? Um, so you said pedal aligned. Do you want to, what does that mean?
0: Did I say aligned? I don't know. I don't think I said, you said aligned.
1: something about pedals.
0: Oh yeah. So we're in the right gear that we want to be in. We've like pedaled, we've spun the cranks around. So we know that we're actually in the gear we want to be in. We're not kind of semi clicked into it. Then we want to bring our right pedal, assuming we kind of pedal with our right foot. Like, as our main one, and we clip our left foot in. So, we have our right foot at around, I'd say, two o'clock position.
1: Yeah, or aligned with the down tube, the words. Sometimes you can say, like, the frame where the the logo for your bike is. Mm -hmm. Yeah.
0: So, we have that there. You know, hands are, you know, maybe we have one finger on each, hovering over each brake or even covering the brakes.
1: A lot of people will lock their brakes.
0: Yeah. So, you're actually pressing into that front pedal and locking your brakes. So you're ready, you're ready. You could even, honestly, what I would do if I was really nervous about starts is I would actually either set a a beeper. There's an, a free app called Interval Timer that you can actually set to your intervals. So you can say like, I have 10 sets of two minutes with like three minutes of rest between them. You can set it to beep or do like a ding, ding, ding or whatever sure. between them. That would honestly be a really fun way to do this where you have that then ding 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 and when it dings like that's your start that's your start whistle Mm -hmm. so that's when you start going
1: sure Yeah, yeah and you can maybe do like a two minute and then every two minutes it dings or something like that and maybe you're on a soccer field and so you do you know down and back on the soccer field and then circle around get set up and then whatever you don't know the how much time is left till the dinger goes but you're all poised and ready and i like that i think that's you know now you're getting used to the the stimulus you know the the go signal uh, you know, it's usually going to be some sort of someone yells go or a gun or a beeper or something. Sometimes it's visual, too. So you have to be careful what what stimulus you're training to. But usually it's some sort of bang or go. So if you have a thing that's sort of dinging, uh, I think that would be great preparation. Uh, and like you say, is working on the aspects of the the start you can work on. Um
0: Yeah. And my, my biggest tip for in starts is knowing that you're really only going to go that hard for maybe 30 seconds and then it's going to get easier. But if you can just stay with it for that 30 seconds and not freak out and not feel like you're, you have to pull, pull back, like know that it's going to get way easier Mm -hmm. if you just stick with
1: it. Yeah. Everyone's a little irrational on, on these starts. Yeah. Yeah. So you go with it, right. You get caught up in it and you go hard and then it, it settles in, uh, is usually how it goes with cross. Uh, reality sets in at some point and we keep pedaling.
0: Perfect. All right. Before we get into our next question, let's take a quick ad break to chat all about one of our sponsors. We have AG1 by Athletic Greens. Uh, you know, we've we've now been using this for 10 months. And let me tell you, it is still my favorite thing in the morning. And I feel like I can really notice when I, I haven't been as good and consistent about taking it. Like when we're we're on the road, I definitely struggle a little bit even though we have these nice handy travel packs I still struggle to get it uh, to remember to get that in sometimes and I can really tell when I've skipped that so AG1 what is it it is not just greens powder although it is a lovely green color but AG1 is a blend of vitamins minerals prebiotics probiotics adaptogens all these fun superfoods all in one NSF certified so third party certified powder it is a nice daily kind of multi supplement it's kind of the only one you need which is kind of the real reason we really appreciate it because we know so many people we've been guilty of this who takes you know a cabinet full of various supplements so it's nice to have it boiled down into just one simple thing
1: yeah, that's exactly it. And I mean, you touched on the idea that, you know, we're traveling, we're going to races, you know, this episode, we're talking about going to cyclocross things, and maybe we're traveling to those. Um, so it's great for that business travel, uh, you know, where we're maybe going out and whining and dining folks, uh, and then eating at the, you know, hotel buffet in the morning, right? And some of my clients are away for weeks uh, with this now. So uh, it's a great thing to have in, in your toolbox.
0: Yeah, it just reminds me of uh, when I was traveling with the cyclocross team four years ago. I didn't have Athletic Greens, but I did have a glass jar of spirulina, I think, that I was traveling with that I had found in Europe and I was using. And I remember it broke in my uh, carry-on bag. And let me tell you, that was not a fun one to explain to TSA because anyone that's seen like algae powder, it is pretty much black powder. So when you have that just everywhere in your carry-on, not great. Could have really used the travel packs of AG1 in that case. Right, right. (laughs) So to make it easy for all of you, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one year supply of immune supporting vitamin D. They have this lovely little uh, vitamin D droplets in an oil capsule because that's the best way to absorb vitamin D. It needs to be sort of in with fat. And honestly, it's a weirdly delicious tasting. Uh, little dropper. Uh, You'll also get five free travel packs with your first purchase. So perfect for those who are heading into cyclocross season. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com backslash Molly H again, athleticgreens.com backslash Molly H because consummate was too hard to spell and you can take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. All right, back to our next question here, which is do we want to do mounts and dismounts or do we want to do running, which makes sense to talk about first?
1: Uh, let's talk about running first. Uh, like, do you need to run for cyclocross is sort of the
0: age-old debate.
1: Age-old debate. Yeah, we've had Bill uh, from CX Hairs on, and we that was one of the concepts we talked about. Um, and, and I think there's, you, you could argue this both ways, which I like. I like these things that are true for both, uh, and it probably depends on the person.
0: As usual, it depends. Right. I, I so my
1: usual answer is you don't have to run for cyclocross. Like at no point in cyclocross, you know, maybe barring, you know, a very, very, very muddy race would you be running for any major amount of time. Um I, I do think you know, and, and then it's also not marathon running. It, I was gonna
0: say it's also when we think about what we're doing in cyclocross when we're running. We are running with our bike, right, wearing our bike shoes up something super steep or over something where it's super deep soggy mud that your feet are sinking into Mm -hmm. that is a lot different than doing 10k on the road
1: so now that said if you like running it's part of your program you gradually add it since it is one of the riskier sports to take on um especially again as we get older Uh, It's it's a tough thing. I I think it's a we include it in a lot of our programs. We like running. uh, But I don't think you need to start running because you're doing cyclocross. I think what you need to do is what we just talked about earlier. Do cross practices that include first slow motion walking, speed, dismounts, mounts, walking beside the bike. And then slow motion, what we call hike-a-bikes rather than run-ups to start. Gradually increasing the amount you're doing and the speed you're doing and the fatigue you're doing and the repetitions you're doing. Um, so that I would say you need to include (laughs) mounts and dismounts and run-ups in your cycling training, but you don't need to have specific running workouts. Um, I will say that there is probably a mental advantage to being a runner for those moments when there is a lot of running. A lot of people will say they hate getting off their bike or they hate running. And if you're the person who says, no, I really like, I have always said, you know, I probably do better when we have to run beside our bike than when I actually have to pedal it. Uh, I think that's a mental boost that in those situations probably would serve you well, but we do have to remember that it is a bicycle race. So (laughs) it's important to ride the bicycle. Well,
0: yeah, I really, I honestly think that the whole running for cyclocross thing has really only come because a lot of cyclists want to do some running in the fall season mm-hmm. i don't know what i think it's maybe it's the weather like it's just easier to get out for a 20 or 30 minute run than it is to get out on your bike when it's pouring rain and just kind of getting crappier and colder out right but i think it's this weird like but it's a
1: separate question right like yeah exactly yeah. Like do
0: you want to run then okay great like we can incorporate some running into your training but do you need to run for cyclocross not really
1: Mm hmm. -hmm. Yeah. I mean, and not to say that it couldn't be beneficial to a program, but it is, you know, it it would be considered cross training. And so usually I get criticized or, or, you know, some clients come to me because we include cross training more uh, and are more open to it than a lot of cycling coaches might be. Uh, but then it is sort of odd to decide in the competitive season. Again, if we're taking cross seriously and, and you see this all the time with even pros that all of a sudden, you know, like you say, the weather goes and it's, oh yeah, I run, I'm a runner. I'm a cyclo Well, it's, no, you just, you're just, you're just all of a sudden doing the 8k run, you know, from nothing. And then you're injured you know, you never run again. So I, I think well executed, it's great, but I think we want to, it's a separate discussion if you want to include running in your, your programming.
0: Um, yeah, it's funny. I would almost say the time spent running would actually be better spent on strength to me for cyclocross, uh, simply because like when you're talking about cyclocross, if you think about picking up the bike, like that is significantly more difficult than running like Ten feet. Uh, if you have, you know, a cyclist's upper body, we'll say, uh, mounts and dismounts really depend on some decent core strength and like some good upper body stabilization. Well, or
1: even just athleticism like that's definitely Mm -hmm. what i see is it's just it's it's way more coordinated and variable than most things we do in cycling where we're strapped into the bike and you have four you know five points of contact whereas with a a dismount all of a sudden you know there's a point there when you think about once you're clipping out where what is there two you're down to two right so it's become much less stable you're moving sort of side to side and twisting so there's a lot of stuff that as cyclists, we don't, especially if we've been doing this for a long time and this is new, it, it just... So that's is where questions like what we're coming into is some of these troubleshooting things with the mounts and the dismounts is it's it's athletic and it's explosive and it's a little different. Uh And, and that's marathon running is probably not going to help because you're not connected to anything. And it, it's just, you know, you just do the same thing over. It's It's just cycling, right, without a bike in a lot of ways.
0: Yeah, and I would also add as far as like the strength stuff goes the smaller and shorter you are the more important it is that you uh you actually are developing a little bit of that like strength and agility and stuff because Honestly, the bigger struggle, I, I don't see the struggle as being able to run over barriers. I see the struggle as being able to lift your bike over the barriers, mm-hmm. right? Like, it's not really the running that catches people off. It's the lifting the bike high enough to clear these 40 centimeter barriers, right? Like that can be really tricky if you're especially if you're, you know, short like I am. Like It's it's a pretty big movement to get the bike like either flicking it out or mm-hmm. lifting it up high enough,
1: right? right and it's definitely where that the having a very light bike for smaller people i think especially is is a is a big win but yeah it's still as you say it's you know that's
0: what, surly cross check that i started <laughs> on 15 it. years ago 20 was, uh, yeah so 28 I mean, even pounds of uh
1: 20 pounds yeah exactly even 20 pounds is going to be you know a lot so in any case that's running take it or leave it uh, but be careful whatever you do uh so yeah do you want to go to mount troubleshoots then
0: absolutely all right so with remounts i guess the the main uh once you kind of know how to do a remount uh assuming you do and we'll actually link in the show notes to the uh dismount remount course that you have
1: yeah i have one with the ryan leach uh, which is now what is it's rlc we've the name's been changed but it's ryan leach's online uh, skills site is a great one that has courses for different things like bunny hopping and jumping and then yeah we have the cyclocross course in there uh, so it's a great one if you want to go deep on, you know, how can you get better at mounts and dismounts? And there's some some different ideas there, including using flat pedals and shoes to start uh, to really focus on the athleticism and less on the like, oh, I'm scared I'm not going to clip in or not get clipped out.
0: Yeah. So as far as like a lot of the stuff we're talking about in this, that's all going to be in that course. So definitely head to the show notes if you want to kind of go through that video wise uh, but I'd say once you kind of have the remount dialed the stutter step is probably the thing that most people struggle with the most and that's when you kind of step twice while you're trying to kind of boing up on the bike
1: well and maybe 101 so versus the race start or how you'd probably you know you'd throw your leg over the bike you'd put one foot on the pedal you'd like kick you know push down on that pedal hop up on the saddle and ride away so that's you know I don't what that's just like getting started on a bicycle um in cyclocross because you're concerned about moving smoothly we don't really want to stop at any point and that method requires that you stop um the, the traditional is what might be called like a cowboy mount or uh, i'm not sure because i don't feel like that's how cowboys get on bikes but that's what it's called i think um where you're sort of you're effectively going to be standing beside your bike both hands are on the handlebar and you put i always say put, you put your thigh up on the seat um so you sort of do like a bit of a karate kick maybe and, and you you put that your If you're on the left side of the bike, you put your right thigh up on the seat and then you sort of are pushed and rolling away. And there's a moment there where you sort of just have your thigh on the seat and two hands on the handlebar and you're not touching your pedals just for an instant. Uh, And that to me is one of the central things to understand is that there's a moment there where you're going to hop up on your saddle and you're not going to be touching your pedals. And so you're going to need to have strong arms you're probably going to be a little lower your face is going to be near your garment or your stem on your bicycle and so the one drill i give people and this is maybe on like a slight down slope or like a sl- side hill if you can picture that but then you're above your bike so you're, you're you know the downhill is I, I don't want to make this too convoluted. you're standing on the side of a hill you're going to be above your bicycle whichever side you get on it and then you're going to put your thigh on your seat you're going to push once really hard with your other foot that's on the ground And then you're going to roll sort of away slightly down the hill and i like that one because you you got to get used to riding when your feet aren't on the pedal and one good push and then experience the fact that you can be balanced doing that now you may fall over horribly doing that and i apologize Uh, but that often helps but at some point there's going to have to be this this moment where you're walking beside your bike or you know just running slowly and you jump put your thigh on the seat and you're rolling away. And, and then that one, you're talking about people like will put their seat, their, their thigh on the seat, but then paddle, 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 paddle with their other foot on the ground, right? Like, I, I don't know what the analogy for that would be, but we really just want one good push, one good jump, and then you're jumping onto the saddle and you don't touch the ground anymore. So you need to find a way, whether it's with a downslope or, or on the side of a hill or lowering your saddle, uh, where you can get used to that one good push. And then roll away. And I do think that there's something to that just practicing, you know, no feet on the pedals and then coming off the bike and then no feet on the pedals, hopping on and off the bike. So hopefully that's not too convoluted, but that's, that's one drill that I really like is that no feet. uh, How far can you coast and then hopping back off? I like it. Uh, That and the side hill, I guess, is the other thing or the lowering the saddle. Um, And then I do think that just not clipping and whether you just put flat shoes on, Uh, To work on it just to take the clipping in out of it and help you get on and off your bike and get a lot of repetitions in Uh, So many skills we get just messed up with the fear of not clipping out or the requirement to get clipped in And and all you're trying to do is get that one If you can just picture you know, even with your left hand You're gonna push with the left hand and then that right leg or the right hand in this weird example is up on the seat Um, So I don't know is that like for dismounts or sorry for mounts for remounts getting on the bike
0: yeah, I think that hits sort of the main one that people struggle with.
1: Yeah, I think the shoes are. If you're just looking for an easy thing, is just try for 20 minutes going out and just not using clipless uh, shoes, if not also pedals, because um, I do think that that confuses a lot of it uh, for both of them. Sure. Do you have any tips for dismounts?
0: Um, actually, hmm, this is an interesting one because we actually just sort of realized that I do something horribly wrong on dismounts so
1: not wrong but it's like very triathlete I think
0: are you thinking of what I'm thinking of like where I unclip so I unclip by bringing my heel in instead of my heel out
1: and only on the the foot like I don't know which foot you're it's only on the other foot right like on this not the other foot but it's only on the first foot you would clip out nope
0: that's how I unclip both feet
1: well, how do you get out of your pedals? Then? I pre-unclip. Oh, you're one of those people.
0: I'm one of those people.
1: Okay, well, that's muddy in the waters. But uh, yeah, you want to clip out. Uh, so your heel should go out generally. And that's in off-road. It's because you're often going to have to get a foot out quickly. So if you click with your heel going in, it will unclip the pedal. And some people find the mobility easier for that. Um, but the the trouble with that is if you ever have to get a foot out quickly, you can't go in with the heel and then try and get your foot out. That's two motions. Whereas if you clip, if your ankle moves out, so to speak, your toes stay in, I guess, stay on the pedal, uh, then it's one, it's like click and your foot can go down on the ground. So it's it's important, I think for to save crashes. And and I don't know, know if you were saving a crash, whether you would do it or not.
0: No, but I th- it's made me even think about my mountain bike riding because I think that's actually why I have the tendency to unclip early if I don't think right. I'm going to clear something or right. if I think I'm going to dab. Yeah, and I, I unclip, which immediately means you're going to dab or have to put a foot down.
1: Well, you're not going to do the thing. Yeah, exactly. You, yeah, this so, is where people say they pre-unclip and try and you know bunny hop something, and it's like, well, now you're standing on top of clipless pedals. <laughs> you know, you're on yeah. ice basically. Um, so yeah, so I think again, this is where the clipless pedals is confusing. because it's the skill is not actually in the clipping out. That's just other stuff. Like that's a separate concept we'd have to work on is how do you clip out and maybe you have a mobility thing or or different pedals or or whatever. but you're we're talking about getting off your bike while it's moving. And so we swing one leg over and all of our body is on one side of the bike. Um, and then eventually you're going to hop off to the side and keep on running, right? Ideally you run, you land running effectively. And so the bike never stops moving. And that's, that's like our, our goal eventually. Um, so again, flat pedals, if you're nervous, if you're saying to yourself, I don't think I'm going to get clipped out. I would just keep doing it with flat pedals until you figure, you know, you're really smooth. You get the balance. You you know, it's very smooth. Then you could bring back the, the clipless pedals. Um, the only thing I was going to leave is that, you know, a lot of folks are pretty good. They're not in this group you know, they get unclipped, they're doing the thing, but they're having to get dismounted way too early. So they're, they're running again, this is, they're running more than they need to. Um, so the the trick and what you need to do, and if you watch a really good cyclocross rider, they, they get over to the one side of the bikes. So all their body is on one pedal, one foot sort of behind the other one. Uh, and they bring their, their off, the hand from the opposite side of the bike. This is really hard to do in a podcast, but they, they grab their top tube basically, right? They're grabbing their frame so that when they jump off the bike, they can instantly pick up the bike when their feet hit the ground. Uh, and that's the next level is then you can lift the bike instantly. So you can get off your bike, you know, two steps before it's one, two over is how that footwork goes. Um, so that's, that's the next step. And, and you don't do it at full speed. You do it walking speed, one, two, over. Uh, But that's what we're looking for. And to do that, you need to get that hand onto that top tube. So again, we have that course. I have a couple free videos too we'll link to that I've done with Canadian Cycling Magazine over the years um, that are great and sort of divide those out. So lots of help out there for you. But again, when we're trying to find time and and smoothness, like that's something that you could dedicate all year to without even having to go running or anything like that. And and there's always little improvements we can make in variable, right? Like we could be doing that uphill, downhill, on a corner.
0: I think I figured out the why I unclip that way. Why? Uh, because uh, if you start, if you started on the road, if you started in road shoes, they're actually pretty hard to get your ankle, like to get your foot at, to go out that far, right? Because you have to go much more aggressive to unclip a road pedal, right? In is a lot easier. Sure. Um, so I think that's, that's I why you, it's just like when I I think learned. of clients
1: who I've noticed, and this is something that I, I've, you know, I have to admit that I haven't even really noticed. And I think some of it is the, the road folks coming over more to gravel and mountain bike, you know, whereas the mountain bikers, I think probably just, uh, you're probably exactly right. Um, that it's, some of it is from the road. And I think that's where in coaches, you get coaches who are just insist on, you know, that you said pre, so both feet getting clipped out before you do the dismount. How much of that even comes from older pedals or just from being road coaches who were coaching cyclocross? And I don't think that's wrong, uh, but you can see where the, where people are coming from and the schools of thought, uh, you know, you get these different solutions to the same problem, right? We're all hopping off of the same bike.
0: Yeah, for sure. Cool. Uh, Were there any other questions you wanted to hit on?
1: Um... The only other one was around cornering, I guess, right? And, you know, it's sort of this vague, you know, how do you get better at cornering? And it's sort of like, well, you you, you, you go and you corner in a bunch of variable different ways. Um, I would say we talked about the handlebar height. So definitely, you know, those bars, you want them to probably if we were looking for rules of thumb are about as high as your your seat. If you looked at it from a side angle, but that's a very rough rule of thumb.
0: Actually, to be fair, we didn't talk about handlebar height in this one. We talked about it in the episode that we have weeped out because we argued too much in it. Okay. Uh, So what we said in that one was if you have been using your – if you're planning on using your gravel bike for cyclocross or you've been using your cyclocross bike for gravel, you might have set it up differently where the handlebars are a little bit higher. You might have put the bars higher just to be a little more comfortable for those 100, 200-mile – uh, excursions. So cyclocross, you can actually feel free to just drop your bars a little bit, get yourself into a bit more of an aggressive, racy position.
1: And as always, you know, if, if your back cramps up or you don't like them that low, they like, you don't have to do it. But that's generally what that's what you'll see is is lower handlebars. will, you know, your, your hands are getting closer to the tire. Uh, you know, it's sort of this, I, I always use the chopsticks analogy. It's very hard to use chopsticks from the top, which I think is the proper way. But then people who are starting try and get their hands right on the food, basically. Right. Uh, right. You know, because they're not as dexterous with it. So we want to be a little lower um, and that lower center of mass and all this uh, sort of effect. So, um, cornering. Uh, The one thing that I see is, and this is true of everything, is just always using cones because they're easy to set up. And I'm as guilty as anyone with this. But sort of similar to mountain biking at some point you need to get in and cornering around trees because uh, they're different right and on dirt because it's different than grass and so for cyclocross i think you know it might mean setting up some stakes or or trees you know work fine too but just so that you're you're cornering in an actual environment that's going to be in a race
0: yeah so either tape a few trees tape some stakes i think the tape also matters too because mm-hmm. it's real easy to go around a stake that has no
1: right and understand you know the setting up of a corner you know we talk about pushing the tape back, so you're getting to the outside so the tape helps inform that or else you could just go out as far as you want or maybe you're looping out between the cones so i do think it is worth this is where the cross practices are so valuable the people you know the, the we, we need more of them who are setting up these cross practices and stuff as well and thank you for that Uh, But you can you can certainly do this on your own. You know, if you get a roll of caution tape and just set up a couple, you know, you only need two corners, you know, as a small cyclocross course. Uh, And then you can play with how they're set up and the different variables. So I would say that's a big piece. Uh, The tire pressure, uh, play with that again in your practice as you have those corners set up uh, and learn about that is definitely a piece. Tires can definitely inform that. Uh, I don't know. Otherwise, you know, it's sort of you can get coaching on that, but it's definitely just playing with it uh, in different corners, different scenarios, side hill, uphill.
0: Yeah, and we've talked about this on here before, and even on our blog. I think you know everyone really talks about the remounts and dismounts in cyclocross. Like that's the thing you're practicing. Barriers, like those are the thing you practice for cyclocross. But I would argue in a normal cross course, you maybe have two places you're dismounting and remounting maybe usually it's only one but you are taking hundreds of corners Mm -hmm. like at least 100 corners per lap so if you really want like better cyclocross results i'd say the best bang for your buck is get really good at cornering rather than getting super good at remounting and dismounting like that's where you're like better spending your time Mm
1: -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah yeah i think that's exactly it um Yeah, I I don't know. You know, it's so hard without seeing someone. I think the only other, if I had to think of, you know, the most common thing I see with cornering is just people aren't actually looking. You know, it sounds, it's the I always say it's the most cliche advice is to look where you want to go, but people are not looking often. uh, What I see is that uh, if you're struggling with cornering, it often means you're not looking around the corner. Uh, And that could be balance. That could be uh, mobility. That could be, you know, just comfort with the, you know, leaning and looking. Uh, further around that cyclocross corner, right? And again, some of that could come from that cone and that environment you're practicing because if you can just look past the cone versus the tree or the barrier or something like that, or sorry, the the tape, uh, it can be just a, a little different.
0: Mm-hmm awesome well let's wrap up there we're gonna put links to the show notes uh to our past couple cyclocross episodes that touch on a few other points and we'll link to that rlc course on dismounts and remounts so definitely check that out if you're hoping to improve those cyclocross skills uh and of course let us know if you have any other questions as the season gets going and you start racing and anyone racing uh this coming weekend have an awesome time good luck get muddy enjoy and to the
1: season have a good season
0: all right, we'll see you next week. Thanks so much for tuning in to the Consummate Athlete Podcast. If you want to hear more training, racing, and endurance sport advice, make sure you subscribe to the podcast and leave us a rating and review. You can also subscribe to our newsletter at consummateathlete.com for a weekly dose of inspiration and advice straight to your inbox.